0: Think about this book of Romans and obviously in a class setting we break it down and we do a a chapter per class or something like that. But this is a letter that Paul wrote to these people. So think about you writing a letter to someone. Let's say, let's get an example like somebody off in the military overseas for for a long time and they write home to their loved ones boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever it might be and they write this letter and they, they just pour out their heart and they write everything and they write page after page and they write like, you know, 16 pages of letter home and they send it <clears throat> and you get the letter and you open it up and on one week you read the first page and then a week later you read the next page. <laughs> oh no, no, you would, you would just pour through the whole thing. Now you might go back. Like we're doing with this letter, and break it down a little, you know, bit at a time and a page at a time. But there would be ideas spread through the whole letter that would only make sense in the context of the entire letter. They're not, they're not individual stories or individual things that have no connection with the rest of the letter. And that's the way Romans is. So when we get into chapter 10, actually this section 9 through 11. It's a specific topic, but it's related to the whole book, it's related to the whole letter. So we can't take it by itself and expect to get the exact meaning or all the meaning out of it just by looking at that section. So we got to keep that in mind as we go through this. So I I don't mean any disrespect or insulting your intelligence to to do a review. It's more for my good. (laughs) To go through the whole book and and once again put it together and see, okay, where are we in this big picture? What are we talking about? So, just to get us going here, remember in the start of the book, the first three chapters, Paul's pointing out that everybody has sinned. He mentions, of course, you guys, the Gentiles, we'll call, and the Jews are like, yeah, those Gentiles, they definitely sinned. And then he turns around and says, oh, but you guys are in the exact same boat. And the Gentiles, yeah, see? So you guys are in the same boat. So the problem is pointed out in the first three chapters, or at least two and part of three. But then in the next section, in chapter maybe a lot of part three through five, he's talking about how to solve that problem of sin. And he's given he's pointing out some of the possible options or some of the things that people might say. What are the options that Paul points out? He so says, how are you going to deal with this sin? Number one, you could try to do what? What would be one option to take care of your sin? Keep the law. the works. I'm going to fix this problem by, by being perfect. I'm going to follow every law. What's the other option? Yeah, well, the other option, the other extreme. Let me go there. Jesus to take care of it, I'm gonna do anything. <laughs> right? So he, he addresses both those. He says, no, that's that's not how it is. I think there's a third option that I feel like we sometimes <laughs> get tracked in. And I call it the 50-50 option. You know, I'll do what I can with the works. Oh, but I can't quite do it perfectly. Okay, I'll let God take care of the rest. So I get it. the works. You know, as much as I can, and then I'll let God's grace cover what I can't do. None of those options, Paul says, is the right is the right answer. Those are not options. He points out that salvation is by grace, by faith in Jesus Christ, which causes you to do the works. And yes, they're important. They're absolutely important. But it's not being earned by your works. No matter what kind of work you do, you're not earning it. Not even fifty percent. It's not a split where you do part and God does the other part. In the chapter six through eight, uh, he talks about how we're made holy, or the sanctification of His people. And Dealing with some of that, and even looking, even looking at the uh, the, the man added headings. Chapter 6, believers are dead to sin and alive to God. Uh, believers united in Christ. Uh, deliverance from bondage. So those types of things, our victory in Christ. That is the, the topic as he's progressing through this. Then we get to this section that we're in now, 9 through 11. And this is kind of a, a side Item, these three chapters. If you took those out, you could go from eight to twelve, and it would make perfect sense, just continuing on. But Paul felt it necessary to go into this, this side item, this uh, idea, to clarify a few things. And what's he doing in these chapters? He's talking about the sovereignty of God, which means they were questioning, they were questioning God. It's like, well, wait a minute, you gave us the law and now you're taking it away or you're, you're whatever, and how can God do that, might be the, the question that Paul's answering. And he saying God is sovereign. He can do what he wants to do. And he points that out in many different ways. <clears throat> so in this section, the focus changes from us, uh, our sin, how we solve that problem, and our sanctification, and it turns to God. What's God's role in this? Or what, didn't, what can God do in this? God gets to decide. Granted, this section has some difficult passages, but we need to keep it in the context. The context is, why can, how can God do this? Why is God allowed to do this? How could God, in specifically, dealing in Romans, what is the issue with what, do, what do the Jews say the issue is? The, the issue is, how, what do you we're going to let these people in. How how can you do that? How can you how can you justify that? I mean, look at the law. Look at look at what you've given us. And you, they're basically accusing God. You're violating the law. We're the chosen people, and you're going to let the, these Gentiles in. You can't do that. So did he. Uh, Disregard the law? Did he lie about it in the law? So Paul is dealing with that. It appears what we need to see in these verses is God is dealing with, especially in chapter 8, uh, into chapter 8, into 9, God, as Paul's dealing with this concept, the, the passages that he cites are dealing with God choosing, or making choices, of nations or groups like Gentiles and Jews. He's not talking about individual. He's not not talking about and Ariel. It's like, I'm going to choose between the two or something like that. Even even in the examples that he gives uh, talking about Jacob uh, Jacob and Esau or talking about Isaac and Ishmael. He's talking about more of a group or a nation in those than he is in, in the individual so in 8 chapter 8 and verse uh, 29 for whom he foreknew he predestined he conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren and those that he predestined he called he's called he justified and he goes on talking I think explaining some of that how does God do that Well, it's a group of people that he's choosing. The kind of people, you might say, that God chooses. What kind of people? And he proves this throughout the whole thing by going all the way back in chapter 3. Remember saying that people are saved by faith, and he uses the example of... Who does he use as the the big example of being saved by faith? Abraham. And points out in chapter 4. Uh, And in verse 16 of chapter 4, he says, For this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He makes it a point using Abraham, especially because he was before the law. And yet it's the same principle. It's the faith that caused Abraham to do the things that he did that made him righteous. So he's, he's bringing that out. <clears throat> Another thing that we looked at in chapter 8 is this longing... Um, the creation longing or groaning for, what was the creation waiting for or longing for? The revealing of the sons of God. The creation was longing for this revealing. Now, you guys, you already knew the answer to that, right? Who who are the sons of God? We are, the Jews, we are the sons of God, right? So it's like, what's the question here? But no, that's not the answer. That is not the answer. The sons of God, the Jews, the true Israelites are those that follow God, those that follow Christ. Those are the true sons of God. So in chapter nine through 11, we're gonna be looking at in this section, who are the sons of God? And God gets to decide how those groups are used in his plan. So, in chapter 8, also, another thing we looked at was this passage about verse 28: 828. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. <clears throat> so, all things work together for good. But I think it's important to remember the context of this. It's so easy to take these and want to apply them to everything. And I'm not saying that God can't use everything in the world to make work together for good. But I think Paul's point is certain things that he is talking about. What things are Paul, is Paul talking about that work together for good in this situation? What, what things? Yeah, Bob?
1: All the things
0: that God has been doing. All the things he's been doing. And what's he been doing in, in Romans. He's been bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles under the same under the same uh, you know, principles of God, and he's going to make those things work out for good. All things, even in that next verse, gives you a hint of what he's talking about. Uh, yeah, for those for whom he foreknew, those he predestined. Uh, to become, to conform to the image of his son. These are the things that are that Paul is using in this context. He's talking about these things working. I think it's a whole thing in chapter nine through eleven. It's this. It's a. It's a complex thing that God did. It, it was a. When you look back through this history, it wasn't just very simple. Oh, God, you know, made this law and he brought these people in and all that. It was complex, but he made all this work together. So who were the chosen people of God that received the law? The Jews. But that law pointed toward Christ. What happened when Christ came? What did you guys do? No weren't part of that. Not not to not to a man. Who were the first Christians? Jews. So some of them believe that. But but in general, a lot of the Jews rejected that. So that opened the door, let's say, to you guys. So then you accepted Christ, right? And what did the Jews think about that? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're the chosen people. And then for some that caused a jealousy. Of the Jew, how can you let the Jews in? We're the chosen one. And for some, what did that jealousy do? It made them rethink. Well, wait a minute. If God's allowing those people in, we want back in that as well. And some of the Jews end up coming back. You see how that whole plan worked together? For good. All those things that God did. So, it almost put the two against one another in a way to unite the two. You know, they did, they rejected it, so you guys are allowed in. You guys accepted it, so they've been jealous. They got jealous of you, so they wanted back in. Wow. So, God puts that all together. Yes?
2: I think, too, the, the quotes there in chapter 9, maybe this is where you're going. So, I hate to jump in front of you there. Please. Um. Uh, it really highlights that God said he was going to do this the whole time. Like, this was his plan the whole time because he said, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call them my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it said, if You're not my people, they're going to be called the children of the living God. Uh, but then Isaiah also cries out about Israel, though the number of Israelites was like the sand of the sea only the remnant will be saved for the Lord will carry out his sins on earth with speed and finality and also uh, unless the Lord had left us descendants uh, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah so it's a remnant within the remnant and he planned to do that the whole time That's who, that was his predestined plan the predetermined uh, prepared in Yes,
0: absolutely. Thank you very much. Paul goes to great lengths to, to make sure that they see, no, God didn't change his mind. God didn't violate the law. This was the plan, and he points it out. This was the plan. Didn't you read the prophets? This was the plan from the beginning, right?
2: Yeah, that Hosea. Um, so
0: just reading it on the surface here in Romans, you know, it sounds like Paul's just using this proof text that, well, God can make Absolutely, right here. Right.
2: All right. This thing is going on, I think, that the Jews or the Gentiles become Jews. That doesn't have to happen, nor does a, Gentile right. have, a Jew have to become a Gentile. Christ says, there's one body. You don't have to give up your Jewish heritage and the things that they've done, nor does a Gentile have to give up his heritage and become a Jew.
0: Exactly. Yes, I may have missed that earlier. That was kind of their option... Thing. It's like, okay, you can, you can be saved, but you've got to become one of us first, and then you can, you know, become a Christian, and then you can be saved. So no, all those things he points out from the Old Testament that, hey, this was the plan from the beginning. These are the things that God has worked together. Right. Exactly. So a lot, and over and over, he's pointing this out among the current people of how this has been the pattern from, from way back. And this was what was expected. This is what God predicted. And it's working out exactly like God planned. Imagine that. <laughs> so it just helped me so much to go back through this with you guys in the comments just to think about where we are in this whole program so who's on trial in chapters 9 through 11 it almost looks like a trial because Paul brings up I think what their objections would be and I think God is on trial they're like well wait a minute Um, so in chapter 9 verse 6 you know did God fail that would be the theoretical question and Paul's answering that no in 9.14, is God just? What well, might be the, the question that he's addressing? Bob, well,
1: I'm skipping ahead of you a little bit. Go ahead. Uh, Looking at verse 1. And uh, he kind of gives the answer. Uh, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness. That would be referring to the law. Have a payment. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued the law uh, that would lead to righteousness did not succeed right. in reaching that law. So it's like Paul is saying, okay, you follow the law, how did work out for me?
0: Very good. <laughs> Very good. And we sometimes get caught up in the, the terminology or the wording, But it's difficult. I mean, what words do you use? It's like earlier saying, you know, the Jews rejected, therefore that opened the door? That caused the Gentiles? I mean, what word do you put there? It was God's plan. But it was kind of like a cause and effect type of thing. And then the Gentiles come in, and that caused the Jews to be jealous. Well, that was the plan. It wasn't, so I don't know you know, maybe I'm using the wrong word, maybe there's a better word, but you see how we, that Paul does that, I think, in his writings. He, he's got to use a word to try to convey that without, without us focusing solely on, on that. We need to look at the picture of how that is put together. All right, so anybody else? Comments, corrections, criticisms, anecdotes? Anything that might be helpful there? All right, so in, in the start of chapter 9 that we looked at, I thought it was interesting. He says, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. Verse 1. And just kind of thinking through that again, it's like, why, why does Paul have to tell him that? Hey, I'm telling you the truth. Well, there's probably a couple things that they might question. Uh, one, he says, you know, my conscience, uh, the Spirit, whatever. Yeah, my conscience, bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and grief in my heart. Kind of this idea that you Jews rejected this and went away, and that's made me very sorrowful. And what might the Jews think about Paul in his situation? It's like, wait a minute. You're, you're sorrowful about what? You left us, right? You quit. You walked away from Judaism. You were one of the greatest Jews there was, and you turned your back on us. Why? You know, it's hard for me to see that you're sorrowful about that, maybe. So maybe that's one of the things he's talking about. Then he turns around and says, I wish that I could be accursed so that you could be saved. Paul's saying, I would give up my soul. I would go to hell for you guys. I am not lying. Now, we know that's a theoretical type thing because one man can't do that for another unless he's perfect. And Paul wasn't perfect. But there's a couple things there that maybe he's pointing out. It's like, uh, I'm not I'm not lying, I'm telling you the truth. And then the other thing is he's talking about his sorrow, but then you read in Philippians and he talks about the joy that he has. He's like, wait a minute, you you sorrowful or you, you I thought you were happy all the time. So obviously context, he's sorrowful for the the rejection. But he's joyful in the Lord. So, our other thing here in the uh, beginning of chapter 9. You remember back in chapter 3 when he said, uh, you know, what was the advantage of the law then? And what was his answer? Great in many ways. And then in chapter 3, how many of those things did he give? one <laughs> right isn't that right so he starts in chapter three he talks about all the benefits of the law yeah it was great in many ways but i don't think he finishes it until he gets to chapter nine starting in verse four now look, he starts adding to that list these are the benefits these are the things that you guys had you guys in the law and it was great They looked at it as it was all just thrown away. Paul's looking at it like it was fulfilled. This was a good thing. So once again, looking at the whole letter and tying this all together, there's there's several times where Paul says, well, the first thing is this, and he never gets to the second thing, or at least he never says the word second. But this is kind of one of those things. There's there's many ways that you were blessed with the law. And then he gets to chapter 9. Um, in verse four, who um, according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, and the fathers, and the Christ coming from them. Those complete that list. And started back in chapter three. So did the law fail? In this section, 9 through 11, Paul said, no, God gets to choose these groups. And we've said this many times. Why did God choose Israel? Why did God choose Abraham? Because Abraham was such a holy, great, perfect man, and he's going to be a great nation. Therefore, he chose Israel, and they were just a perfect nation, and they were a perfect example. No, it was because God gets to choose. That's why. Because he, and he points that out. I think making a point with the Jews and Gentiles, he goes into great detail about Isaac uh, and Ishmael, uh, about Jacob and Esau. So in chapters nine in chapter nine verses kind of nine or seven through thirteen, you know, through Isaac, Isaac wasn't the firstborn. Isaac came along later, much later. Uh, Jacob and Esau. Jacob wasn't the firstborn, but that's where the blessings are going to come. Why? Because God chose it that way. So he uses some other things even in that. In verse 15, he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now, these verses could certainly be taken the wrong way, out of context, and God, well, God's choosing whether or not you're, you know he's going to have mercy on you, and he chooses whether you're saved and whether you're not. Look at the context of those of those things. Even when he's talking to Moses, what was the deal there? That was after the calf, and Moses is pleading for the people, and then Moses says, "You know, God, I'm trying to lead these people to you, and I only see you. Can I see you?" And God's answer is. Which, which one of you deserves the mercy? I'll have mercy on whom I choose to have mercy because you are all in the same boat. I'll let you see me or part of me, but you don't deserve it. I'm choosing. I'm choosing, and I am sovereign, and I get to make that choice. But he's talking about the people as well, not just Moses, but also the people. Yes, Lisa? clarify this a little more. I, I agree 100%. Because in these choosings, he's choosing the kind of people that he wants. He's choosing. He's not choosing you over you. He is choosing, hey, the person that has the faith and follows me and does my will because of that faith, that's who I choose.
3: It's not, it's not depending on
0: what in that day. Right. No, no, no. Not, not at all. It, it, God has given us exactly what we need to know to know how to be chosen in that. So he makes that very, very clear in those things. There's a couple more points to this I think it will help make that clear. Yes, go ahead, Bob.
1: I think it's very interesting that He chose these two examples because if we go back to these examples and we look at what's presented about these lines, uh, we see... What we need to do and what we don't need to do. So these are actually lessons to us and maybe some insight as to why God chose these type of people for this particular task. Uh, he chose the other Israelites to know that they were going to follow him, but they didn't give an example. Right. And, and so everything that God does becomes an example has become an example to us on how
0: to and those things all work together for good. <laughs> because that was, that was his plan.
3: Yes, one, of the, one of the things that I really got from, from my study of that was there, there is this gets into the image of his son.
0: But also, you know, why did he choose Israel if he
2: knew that they were going to reject if They knew that he was going to be divorced. The there is an aspect
0: to his choosing that the whole purpose behind it is to show his power on one side, potentially his wrath, and his mercy and compassion. And so that, for me that was a so big building to know that I did you choose this no matter how you get new, project yourself, that you knew would reject your son that you knew would kind of stray. And
1: so that you can turn around and show compassion again
0: to that Yeah, He he said in the beginning to Israel, you know, you can obey me and I'll and I'll be glorified. You can disobey me and I'll be glorified. <laughs> The other thing I think about when we talk about that, who else would he have chosen? And what would have been the difference? There's nobody perfect, so no matter who he chose, there was going to be this situation. But it was not an individual thing. Even this passage about Jacob, I love, and Esau, I hate You know, that comes from Malachi. That's not back in the story of Abraham, you know, in Genesis. It's, It's later on, he's talking about the nations. Or the groups Or the kind of people That God chooses The kind of people that God chooses He's not talking, well I love Jacob more than I love And our translation I love Jacob and Esau I hate him I always like to read that as love less Or didn't choose for this purpose Or something But our, our terminology And that translation You know, is like, oh he's you know, I'm just kicking him out because I didn't like him you know that, that idea that God just was in a bad mood that day. No, that was that was the kind of people. Uh, and it's clear that God gives people a choice because even in that, or even later, it talks about that potter and clay thing. Are you gonna are you gonna question the potter? You're just the lump of clay. But even in that context, where that comes from, after saying that. He says, if you straighten up, I'll bless you. If you straighten up, you can can come to me. So there's always that option. It's never, uh, I'm just going to form you into a vessel of dishonor, and you have no choice in the matter. He's saying, this is the type of people, and you have the choice to be the kind of people that I choose. Or you have the choice to do otherwise. It is your choice. So he mentions Pharaoh, and I think that means... You know, always been a little scary. It's like, oh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart? I, I hope he doesn't harden mine to where, you know, I have no choice in the matter. Did Pharaoh have a choice in the matter? You know, it says in there a couple of different times, I don't know the exact number, two, three, maybe, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But it also says in that section that who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Pharaoh did. And you know how many times it says that? It's like like nine different times. Pharaoh hardened his heart. So God used that. God used Pharaoh's hard heart to demonstrate his power. Just like he did with Israel. You obey me, I'll be glorified. You disobey me, I'm still going to be glorified. And that's the way it came with Pharaoh. Pharaoh. God glorified Himself through Pharaoh's pardoning of his heart. You know, you can make that case. Uh, I think Jesus does the exact same thing when He talks about the people choosing, choosing to do wrong, and He's looking at uh, John in you know, John chapter five. I think in Matthew twenty-three, Jesus says that the people, the people chose. Badly or wrong. He doesn't say, well, God made you do bad things and God made you wrong. He was, Jesus was sad because they had chosen poorly. It It wasn't God's choice. And like I said earlier, some of the Jews were actually the first Christians. So it wasn't like everyone made that choice. It wasn't a complete uh, national thing. Lisa?
3: so him uh, no
0: Because God is operating, obviously, on a different level. And I don't, I don't understand that. Because I could argue on one side, well, if God already knows, then what am I doing here, you know? So I just have to be careful. God, God knows all things. He can know that. I don't know how God deals with that or what he does with that information. I'm not, I'm not in that position to even understand there are a lot of things in there that I cannot logically make sense of. And I always come back to you, God, being you know, Jesus being God and Jesus being man. Logically explain that to me. It, it can't be done. But God God dealt with it. God knew, and he, and he was able to make it work exactly the way he wanted it to work. So however that knowledge thing for him works out, I don't know. But I still know what I need to do. And I still know that God gives me the opportunity and the choice to do the right thing. So I can work with that. Brad?
2: also shows the sovereignty that some some claim is destined for destruction um, and that's where it's going to end up and we can all see that happening here so whether it's for it's probably for us right it's not for him He you knows it's, it's for us it's for us to see that you know what that guy is going to be a terrible person
0: and god still gave him the
2: opportunity to uh, follow him
0: right going back to that having mercy who had mercy kind of the idea too that God has the has the right to punish sin directly or give time you know you look at some of the examples of that and you look at you know and, and Sapphira and you see that well well God will happen there. Well God has that right to say, that was wrong, and here's punishment now. Or wait till later. I'm going to go This is <laughs> one in 2 Peter 3, uh, 9,
2: where it says, the Lord is not slack, he's promised, or so we're very familiar with this verse, as some
0: of uh, that account, slowness, but his patience for you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to perish. Absolutely, we see the character Yes. He doesn't want anybody to perish. And we need we need to sprinkle that verse in every other story of God and how He deals with people. That's what His ultimate goal is. Yes.
1: Yeah, it, it's hard for us to understand that because we don't see the big picture. We don't see what before us. Now, if God reacted completely upon what He knows, uh, you know, how many of us would wipe out immediately? But that's not the way he works. He sees the big picture. He sees the final end. But we don't. We've got to make the choice whether we go his way or not. Uh, He created us as a a free moral agent, and uh, he's going to keep us that way to the very end. We have choices to make, and we must make the choices ourselves.
0: Amen. Amen. So in the last part of uh, chapter 9, maybe start, I don't know, 27, Isaiah Isaiah, uh, cries out concerning Israel, through the number of the sons of Israel, uh, although the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved, which was mentioned earlier, the remnant of the remnant. Uh, For the Lord will execute his word upon the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, except the Lord of Sabbath Sabaoth had left to us a posterity, we would have become as Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. So God had the right at any point, even with us, to make us like Sodom and Gomorrah because of what we've done. What shall we say then? <clears throat> that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. So what is this this stumbling stone that was laid in Zion that they tripped over? So Jesus the idea uh, that, you know, he was presented and they just fell right over him. And I always have a visual in my mind of that, you know, because it it talks about the builders and trying to build this building. I see these guys because I do this kind of work, excavating, preparing for buildings and going out into this big this lot, we're going to build this huge building, but we got to have a foundation, so we got to dig around in there and we got to make room to put this foundation in. And we start digging and we hit this big concrete thing, you know, and it's right in the way. And it's just massive. And we're chiseling on and breaking it up and digging it out. And we rip the thing out of there and then find out that we're going to pour in a foundation in exactly that location. That's what I see when I see them stumbling over Jesus. It's like he's He's right there. And he is the foundation, but they're ripping him out to put in their own. And it would have been nice just to leave him in, the, in that place. Yes. And this is a combination
1: of a couple of passages from the Old Testament from Isaiah 28, 16, and Isaiah 8, 14 uh, about this idea of laying inside Zion and stumbling. stumbling. Both of you them know, are in the time of the Assyrian crisis. The king of Assyria is only threatening them and saying, surrender or I'll destroy you. And uh, Hezekiah ultimately encourages he
0: or that trust in God, you stumbled over it. I mean, Christ came, and instead of believing, and he points that out, I think, in some of the, the phrase, you know, the wording there, that it's a belief that you missed it. You didn't, you, you stumbled right over it when the belief, the faith in him would have, would have served you very well. So I can see the Jews. I can see myself. <laughs> if God had come down and Jesus had come down and said, all right, here's, here's the plan. If you, can, if you can catch me, you can have salvation. Game on, right? Isn't that how we would feel about that? Now I've got a, I've got a physical plan. I've got it. And I think that's how the Jews almost felt about the law. Aha, giving you this, if you can do this, you can have salvation. And I think that reference even goes into the next chapter when he talks about uh I'll read it because I can't remember to quote it. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down, who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. I almost see that challenge there. Alright, here I'm gonna go hide. You guys see if you can find me and you can have salvation. And they're like, alright, I'll go up to heaven if I have to. I'll go all the way down the abyss. I'm gonna find him and I'm gonna earn this salvation. It's almost like they were chasing him. And God, you know, that that was their mindset in this. He's saying, No, that's that's not the way it is. They ask the question, you know, how and back in John chapter six, how how do we do the works of God? How, how do you how do I, we want to do the works of God? How do we do that? And what was the answer to that? Believe. Believe in him whom God has sent. What? I want the I want the physical challenge thing. I want to chase and catch God. I want a goal here on earth that I can that I can reach. He said, Well, you need to do those things that needs to be based on that faith in Jesus. That's the plan that he gave. All right, so that was chapter 10. Well, <laughs> not exactly, huh? Okay, um, that helped me a lot. Thank you very much for your input on that. But putting that all in context, so we're in this section now of, of Paul saying God is sovereign, because you're questioning that. You're saying, how can he allow. The Gentiles in and they came second. Well, so did Isaac, so did Jacob. God gets to choose those things. So it's not uncommon, it's not new, and it was the plan all along. So that's why. That's why he's allowed to do that. Yes, Bob. Faith is still the stumbling block. Faith is the stumbling block? Still is. For them. And pass for us yeah, yeah. So maybe, yeah. I think that's same same thing. The belief in in having the faith is end up being being the problem there. So he started uh, chapter nine. He says, "I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. I'm sorrowful." Verse ten, chapter ten. He starts. My heart's desire and my prayer to God is for is for them is for their salvation. For I bear them witness they have a, a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. What knowledge? All the things that Paul has just been pointing out. What you missed all through the law. This is the knowledge that you overlooked. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They tried to establish their own on a merit-based. Yes, I'm going I'm to keep this. And that's how I'm going to attain what God wants me to attain. But they missed the way to get there. Thank you very much.